Good morning, LCM. Good morning. Today's date is November 12th, 2023. And our title this morning is Reversing Ignorance. Reversing Ignorance. This morning, we intend to further the process of curing the pervasive ignorance within the believing community regarding the comprehension of the Tanakh and Brit Hadashah as one contiguous narrative. Have you guys been learning about the comprehensive scope of the word in recent Sundays? Yes. We intend to continue to cure ignorance in that area. But moreover, what we want to cure this morning is the ignorance surrounding the courage that is required of all Gentile believers that aspire to be like Ittai in the days ahead. This morning, we want to cure the pervasive ignorance that surrounds the level of conviction that is required for life and growth in the path and plan of God ahead. What is required for life and growth? Somebody say it's hard to produce life. Hard to produce life. Babe, is that true? Is it hard to produce life? Yeah. It's not just us. There are many, many families in this room who've had experiences with how difficult it is to produce life. Especially the life that God has spoken to you will come about and will be produced. There is opposition on all sides to the righteous men and women of God in this room. There is opposition to God Almighty himself, to the word that he has spoken and sent out. And it requires a group of men and women who commit to that word of God. It requires a group of men and women who say, I will not back up from what God said. I will not give him an inch. I will stand and I will be confident of what God has spoken, no matter how long it takes. And church, there is very great reward in that response. There's great reward in that stance of righteousness. Since this room is filled with supernatural children, children that took great pain to produce and required the hand of God, but we have them today. Yeah. Most recently, we're celebrating that Yael has been born. Yeah. We are in a season of seeing new life. I'm currently waiting on the imminent arrival of Hadassah Stevens. Since the pathway to produce life is always a difficult road to walk. When you're considering what it looks like to produce a child, it is an exciting thing from the moment of conception. But the closer you get to the actual birth, the more pressure, difficulty, and suffering is involved in actually bringing forth that life. I think Sasha is praying that the very moment Hadassah is complete in the womb with no delay that she's birthed and at the same time every day that draws a little closer it's a little more difficult to continue to carry that which God has given her since this is what labor pains are like as pastor Judah just said the pathway to produce life is always a difficult road it's never free of suffering but the results are in fact always glorious. In a preliminary step before we jump together into our first passage, we're going to share a note with you written by a man who had been born again four months. Four months. 
but read his Bible from beginning to end during his first four months of being born again. Let's have our first slide. We've been told to pray for pre-tribulation, but to prepare for post-tribulation. But this attitude insults the very spirit of Christ. I do not want to be raptured. I will not be denied the opportunity to gain glory for my king by standing for God's purposes and with God's people Israel during the pinnacle of God's plan. May we be counted worthy to suffer for his name. This should be our anthem. By the end of today, you are going to have the very same conviction that you hear in this quote. Saints, today, we have things to share with you that have put Nick and I into great and difficult wrestling before God. Some of the content that we have to cover has brought us to the point of physical nausea. Some of the things that we're about to say consist of very difficult things in Israel's future. And very practically and personally in this room, our personal responsibility as Gentile believers in the God of Israel during that difficult time in Israel's future. Ultimately, the reason that we are going to share with this with you today is that we were meditating on Ezekiel 33 and our responsibility as watchmen on the wall. Watchmen that are held accountable for what we do and do not declare as we see it in the word of God. This persuaded us to share this message with you today. Now, you should know that passages like Ezekiel 33 or Isaiah 62 are not, first and foremost, about a kid you met in Walmart or in a gas station. That's a good word. These passages are, first and foremost, preeminently about the nation of Israel. God holds us personally accountable for whether we raise our voice in what matters for the state, nation, and purpose of Israel, regardless of our own personal comfortability. In this house, we've been saying that we will practice the Itai doctrine. Can you imagine Itai standing on the wall knowing that destruction and armies are coming, and he said nothing? Today, we will reverse the ignorance regarding what is required of us as Gentile believers during the days of unequaled trouble ahead, that all those who are faithful to Christ will be standing in and not raptured away from. Amen. As a place to start together this morning, we're going to put up Proverbs 12, 28 on the screen. In the way of righteousness, there is life. Along that path is immortality. Do you hear the certainty of this proverb? Do you hear the certainty of the wisdom that comes from the man of God writing this proverb? The pathway to salvation and eternal life, though, though it brings life and immortality, is by no means smooth or easy in any way. No, the path to salvation is filled with labor pains. Ultimately, it is when it looks like all hope is lost. When there is no hope, all of it is gone that life really breaks through. Today we're moving beyond the ignorance of the very sleepy Christian world all around us. And we're going to awaken to the pathway 
to true life and to true immortality. We're going to pick up in Luke 22 together. This is Jesus addressing his 12 Jewish apostles, the ones that he selected to be the foundation of the believing community. Somebody say, foundation, foundation. Of, the believing community. of the believing community. So as we pick up in verse 28, bear in mind that these 12 were to be the model for everyone who would believe in Christ thereafter. You are those who have stayed with me in my trials. You are those who have stayed with me in my trials. And I assign to you as my father assigned to me a kingdom that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Again, these 12 Jewish apostles, they will judge the 12 tribes of Israel because they stood with Jesus through all of his trials. These 12 foundational apostles were the model for how the rest of the nation would also ultimately follow in the footsteps of Messiah. Yeah, see, each of these apostles got to see Jesus and then walk out the steps of Jesus and be crucified themselves. They are the model for what the 12 tribes will do. While you're considering this, you need to remember that Jesus is the head of the nation of Israel. And Israel is destined to follow in the footsteps of their king and of their leader. Yeah. This is both through the suffering that Jesus went through and the subsequent glory that Jesus went through. This is the predestined state of Israel. Now, saints, if you were to truly stand on the doctrines and practices of the apostles... Like every single denomination that exists says that our charter, our list of things that we do, comes from the doctrine of the apostles. Well, the apostles were conferred a kingdom upon them because they stood by Jesus and his trials. And they were the model for all who would believe later. So if we are going to put into practice the doctrine of the apostles then like Ittai, we must stand with the nation of Israel as they follow the path of crucified Messiah, both into suffering and then into subsequent glory. Saints, yeah. so nothing less was required or stated by Christ. We're reversing ignorance today. But when he said to take up his cross and follow him daily, what did you think it meant? He died with and for Israel. He told you to pick up your cross and follow him. What did he do on the cross? He died with and for Israel, as well as was raised in power for Israel. While you are still considering that those who stand by the king of Israel and the people of Israel during their trials are the very ones who receive the kingdom, we're going to take a minute and examine this pathway of salvation. The very one that the Tanakh presents, starting from the very beginning. Now, as we begin, you need to hear me for a second. This is the pathway, the very pathway, that we are required to join Israel in. And it's not a new requirement. We've always been required to join in Israel in this path. You should recognize these slides from an incredible message from November of 2018 called Shemming the Foundation. 
Here's our first one. You have all mankind funneling into Noah. And from Noah expanding out to all of Noah's offspring. In Genesis 3, that's where we learn that a man came, a man coming from Eve would be the one who would crush the serpent's head. The one that would bring about deliverance. Well, the implications of this prophecy are indeed beautiful. And they do have far-reaching relevance. It's extremely broad. It's extremely non-specific. There'll be a man that comes and crushes the head of the serpent. We don't know who exactly it will be fulfilled through at that time. Eve is the mother of the entire human race. One coming from her body at some point. This lets you know that Adonai will work through someone within humanity to bring about salvation. However, after only three chapters, three chapters later, the funnel narrows drastically. In other words, then a contraction begins. Noah in Genesis 6 is found to be righteous and blameless. And all who were to be saved in the entirety of all of humanity must be found with him. So I'm going to ask you a question that should be obvious, but it's got to be asked anyway. Could anyone be saved in the Genesis flood account without standing with Noah and his family? Could anybody be saved without getting on that boat saying, we're going to forsake everything of our lives and we're getting on the boat with Noah so that we can experience salvation along with him? Of course not. No, that's because to stand separate from Noah and his family meant certain death for you. So we're going to talk, start to take these slides at a pace, but just to help you understand what you're learning, because we're reversing ignorance. If we're going to learn to interpret the word of God from Genesis forward, knowing that the first family God identified salvation would come through, you could not participate in salvation without standing with them. Key to this will help you interpret Revelation. You're going to find in each of these coming slides that there is no salvation apart from the narrowing and narrowing family that God identifies. So let's take our next one. You'll see how this pathway of salvation gets clear. From Noah's offspring. Noah's had Ham, Shem, and Japheth. But it was only through Shem that salvation would be wrought. Are you seeing how there's a contraction? We realize that in Eve, salvation will come through mankind as God partners with man to create something new. But then it narrows to only Noah's family. And then among the sons of Noah, only to Shem. As you go from Genesis 3 to Genesis 9, we've seen a rapid progression showing us where salvation will be birthed from. But do you know what you cannot have? Salvation outside of the tent of Shem. There is no hope for Ham or Japheth if they do not relate rightly to Shem. Yeah, Saints, this continual sharpening of focus or contractions, this represents the pathway to salvation and is telling you something about the later contractions or the labor pains to come. Yeah. Let's take our next one. So the next slide, as we take this one, you're going to really begin to see the picture 
of the pathway of salvation growing clearer and clearer. So among the sons of Noah, the pool of people that salvation could come through was limited just to Shem. But moreover, from that point, from Shem, the promise experienced another contraction all the way down to Abraham alone. You might be noticing a theme here, but just to say it, salvation would come from Abraham and none other. In fact, to bless Abraham would mean that you were blessed. And to curse Abraham would mean that you were cursed. This means that if you wanted Adonai's favor in your life, not Abraham's, if you wanted Adonai's favor, it would only come through the man that he chose and you standing with him no matter where, where he was or what he went through. This is just like our previous slides up to this point with Noah. If you didn't stand with him, you died. With Shem, if you didn't come into the tent of Shem, you were outside of Adonai. This process of contraction and narrowing of the pathway, it produced greater and greater clarity with regard to the people and the plan of God. You guys are well aware that during Abraham's time, there was another contraction that occurred. And the place was also specified from among all the regions of the very earth. So if y'all didn't catch that, we started with the broadest filter of through humanity a savior will come. To the extent where we've identified a family line and the place through which salvation would come. So let's take the next slide as we continue to grow in clarity. Abraham. Abraham's offspring. The scripture refers to Isaac as Abraham's only son in Genesis 22. However, Abraham did have many sons, among which Ishmael is particularly notable. However, what you see represented in Genesis 22 and on this slide is that in God's eyes, Isaac was Abraham's only son, meaning the only one that the promise of salvation would be reckoned through. Saints, when you're considering this, in each successive generation, there were those who were close to the promise, but did not receive the promise personally. Those that were close to the promise, but did not receive the promise personally. This requires that the other sons who did not receive the promise cling to the one promised son. Look, I don't have to take the time at this point to tell you about the mistakes that came from Ishmael or Edom, but just to say that a twisted view of this promise produces something that has an effect on the entire earth, and we will cover that more later. But it's through Isaac that the son is promised. You should notice that the pathway of salvation has once again narrowed. Not all of Abraham's sons are bearers of the promise. Only one, the only one God speaks of through whom salvation can be found. So we started with Noah. You didn't stand with Noah, you were dead. Shem, if you didn't come into the tent of Shem, you were definitely outside of Adonai at that point. Abraham, if you didn't bless him, there was no blessing in favor of Adonai in your life. And if you cursed him, you were cursed yourself. Isaac, the promised son, is the only one that God reckons. So what do you think happens to you personally and your entire line 
if you deny the son that God has approved. Uh, we're going to get to that later. You get an anti-Christ religion. The record of the Tanakh is that to fail to stand with God's chosen line means explicitly your death. So next slide here. Once again, the contraction begins and brings us closer to the birth of life. But also, this narrows the pathway and inevitably brings more adversity. Jacob was not the only son of Isaac. No, he was not. But he was the son that Adonai chose through which to bring about the promised salvation. Jacob described his life as difficult. He said, my years are few when talking to Pharaoh in Genesis 47.9. His life was filled with wrestling moments, both from within and from without. He was, however, God's chosen vessel for salvation. So speaking of national destinies that were the nations coming from Jacob and Esau, do you remember that Paul said, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated? How important do you think it is then to stand with the family line that God actually chose? It's everything. Would you like to be loved of God or would you like to be hated of God? So it's everything. That question is answered entirely independent on whether you stand or whether you do not stand with the chosen line of God that is a funnel that is continually narrowing. Guys, do you catch how each of the narrowings, the family line that God identifies, there is no hope outside of standing with that family line? See, if you started at the right end of the book, you would have no thought in your mind that you could do anything different in the newer testament or anything different in revelation this is how adonai introduces his pathway to salvation as my brother said jacob's life was difficult at least in this description to pharaoh i'm going to pick on you a theoretical lady you women get pregnant you get excited as all get out. You send everybody a picture of the positive test. It's like, yay, I have life. The closer that you get to actually producing life, it's, ooh, how much longer is this? Are we getting closer to the day? This is getting harder. I can't wait for this to be over. Why? You're closer to what you wanted all the way at the beginning. Labor pains in the process of producing salvation gets increasingly difficult the closer you get to the real promise. So we're going to take these next few and it's going to lead us into something. Our next six slides will move quickly and are all about the way Adonai will bring about salvation from within his chosen people. From all of Jacob's offspring, Judah was highlighted. From Judah's offspring, it continues to narrow to the one who would produce the kingly line. And before we take the next slide, you must know that all of Jacob's offspring are nationally elect as Israel. But only one tribe among the elect nation was elect to produce the kingly Messiah. So among, among the sons of the chosen tribe of Judah, one son in particular was chosen to form the elect dynasty that would lead all the other elect sons into salvation. That was David. David was not the only son of Judah, nor was he the only son of Jesse himself. 
but he was the son that Adonai chose to associate his name with forever. It'd actually be called the son of David as the son of God. This contraction produced significant hardship in very difficult times. Yep. But ultimately, it produced the throne that Jesus will sit upon in the time of his return, the throne of David. Now, David had many, many sons. And this next slide will show you, among David's sons who were all blessed for being in his family and blessed for being a part of the elect nation Israel, only one of his sons was elect to produce the Messiah. All of David's sons, again, are part of a nationally elect people and destined for salvation. Yet among those sons, David was chosen and then his son Solomon were chosen to produce the Messiah. Now, a careful reading of 1 Kings will give you some insight into the difficulties that that contraction or labor pain produced in the progress toward salvation. Let's take our next slide though, brother. Our next slide is going to cause most of you to sigh a sigh of relief. Mm -hmm. Ah, I was waiting to finally get to Jesus. Man, praise God. Jesus is finally in the center of the funnel. And you sigh mostly because you think that you understand it. But we promise you by the end of today, you will realize that you didn't really understand this slide. That's because you're having your ignorance reversed this morning, praise God. Among the sons of Solomon, only one was both the physical descendant of Abraham, of Isaac, of Jacob, of Judah, of David, of Solomon, and the only son of God. The constant contradictions in the pathway of salvation reached their most narrow point in Jesus himself. So beginning in Genesis, we find out that Eve is the pathway to salvation. Then, once again, through Noah, then Shem, then through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Judah, then David, then Solomon, and then through Jesus. From this, you should realize that the biblical narrative spends a quite immaterial, unsubstantial, or minute amount of time on the easy part of the pathway to salvation. The yeah, one that's very, great. yeah, the one that's very broad, because it's easier. But it quickly, after this point, begins to focus in on the family that would specifically birth salvation through labor pains. In fact, a far greater majority of the law, the prophets, and the writings in both the Older and the Newer Testaments are focused on the part of the pathway or labor pains that most believers are still ignorant of to this day. The pathway to salvation is and always has been through Israel, Israel's Messiah, and through standing with them in their greatest hour of labor. We're going to expand on the area of greatest emphasis in all the prophetic writings, even more as we continue. But for now, you need to bear in mind that the revelation of Messiah is the height of all labor pains. But the revelation of Messiah is also a far greater event than what you may be thinking of just in the first century. The specific revelation of Messiah was always expected and intended to produce the redemption of all Israel. And also the redemption of those who stood with Israel during the labor process, just like in every preceding contraction through history. 
There was no salvation apart from standing with the people of God. So let's take a look at our next slide together. Jesus is the most narrow end of the funnel. We went from all of humanity through the generations to the point where there is one promised son. But what was that promised son sent to do? To restore the lost tribes of Israel. And we will, in fact, see the fulfillment of that. All Israel in Messiah will be saved. Subsequent to the salvation of Israel, secondarily following as an addition to the main theme, in all Israel there will be Ittites who are saved with Messiah. This collectively forms the birth of the bride of Christ. Messiah is the one forecasted by the prophets to bring about the salvation of all Israel. Israel is the one forecasted to bring about the salvation of all nations. I'm going to say that again because I don't think you caught it. Messiah is the one forecasted by the prophets to bring about the salvation of all Israel. Israel is the one forecasted to bring about the salvation of all other nations. The combination of Israel at the head of this body, along with representatives of every tribe and tongue before the throne of God, well, that is what is collectively called the bride of Christ or full body of Messiah. Now, just because we're coming into a fuller knowledge of this revelation doesn't mean that it hasn't existed all the way from the very beginning of Genesis. This is a topic for another time, but the scripture clearly declares that the lamb was slain before the creation of the world. God had this plan in place before creation. However, the intensity of the contractions and labor pains, it only increases as we draw closer to the ultimate manifestation of salvation. Yeah, they increase. So as the rest of the world and the church world is saying, we're going to get out of here and be raptured and we're going to miss all of this, God's plan from the beginning says, that's not true. These labor pains are only going to increase. This fullest manifestation is going to culminate and begin with the salvation of all Israel, which actually is the initiation point of the thousand-year or millennial reign. We're going to take a look at a slide that the mothers in this room, we're talking about especially the recent mothers in this room, are going to certainly understand. Now we want you to see the top of this slide. The top portion is a, an image of what you've seen in the last few slides. They're the contractions, the narrowing of the funnel, and then the expansion again. The middle section is labeled as contractions. You can see like on a monitor that is measuring contractions. This is what they look like on that monitor. You can see from the third row, the intensity of the, of the contractions is at that very top point. You understand, Miranda? At the very top uh, point. I think she does. That is the pinnacle, the peak of the contraction. This plan of God was pregnant with salvation from the very beginning. But the intensity of the plan picks up drastically the closer to its fulfillment that we all draw. To be clear, all contractions, even the Braxton Hicks contractions that most of you have before actually labor, you go into labor, well, all of them are progress. Every contraction is progress. But as they draw closer to the time of birth, well, they feel more and more like death itself, don't they? Yep. 
The promised line of salvation has always looked like it was on the edge of death. Throughout history, Noah was facing worldwide destruction. Abraham was childless for most of his life. Jesus was very nearly killed in the slaughter of the innocent babies. The predestined nation of Israel has always looked like it was on the edge of death. In Egypt, it seemed that they may never be free again. Oh. In the first wave of captivity under Assyria and Babylon, it looked as if they actually ceased to be a nation. In the exile of the second century, it appeared to most faithless Christian theologians that the promised people who would bear salvation, they were dead and gone. In labor pains, though, the closer you feel to dying, guys, the closer you are to actually bearing real life. We want to examine some of the yet-to-be-fulfilled promises about the life that Israel will bear. Future tense. But before we do, as a reminder to you at this point, if you do not stand with Noah, then you die. If you do not come into the tent of Shem, then you die apart from God. And if you do not bless Abraham, you have no blessing in your life. The promises we're about to read are still yet future, and the only way that a Gentile can participate them is by standing with and by Israel in their trials, in their desert times, just like Ittai did. Y'all want to talk about an ultimate redemption? Oh, come on. Do you want to talk about redemption? What we're about to discuss is what the prophetic picture says that Israel will receive in their ultimate redemption, glorification, and purification. Saints, all men are bound over to sin. That's the point of Romans 1 through 6. We are aware and the prophets acknowledge that there are sinful things in Israel. But the ultimate redemption says that he will purify every ounce of it. They will be glorified, sinless, righteous, and stand as his nation. Now, as a people who would like to participate in a resurrection and glorification, I would think that this would be pertinent to you. Do you want to stand with Israel? Saints, we're going to go to Jeremiah. As we do this, we want to acknowledge a couple things. You will notice that select passages we are covering, as well as many others on the subject, acknowledge areas of Israel's sin. Again, Romans 1 through 6 paints this picture clearly. Our subject and the reason we are taking the verse range as we are is to show you their complete redemption and glorification. And we're going to begin with the famous New Covenant passage in the book of Consolation. Somebody say there when you're in Jeremiah 31. So in Jeremiah 31, beginning in verse 31. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant. Somebody say amen. You've seen that little subdivider that is, you know, not scriptural, but is between the Tanakh and the Brit Hadashah in your Bible? Catch the next couple words. When I make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Look, just just to state the obvious for a moment, I, I would like to ensure that everyone in the room from the back row to the front row notices the subject and recipients of the new covenant, that being Israel and Judah, or put another way, all 12 tribes. As a reminder, again, it was a mystery. 
the Gentiles had any part in what you're about to read. Oh, wow. And the share that we do have in the covenant is only for those Gentiles who stand with Israel, just like in every other contraction through history. If not on the boat with Noah, you drown and you miss salvation. Verse 32. Now like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor, and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Saints, from the least to the greatest, all Israel will know the Lord. But hear me, this is unequivocally unfulfilled. Currently, it is still yet to reach its ultimate expression as laid out in the plain language of the text. It says, all will know the Lord. Israel is predestined to have the law written on their heart. Written on their heart and to be completely in shalom and right order with God and have their sins remembered no more. Somebody say, that is yet... Unfulfilled. unfulfilled not never to be fu- uh, never to be fulfilled yep. yet to be fulfilled yep. all right so now that you've read some from jeremiah 31 turn the page to jeremiah 32 with us jeremiah 32 verse 36 is where we're going to start for the second passage here now therefore thus says the lord the god of israel concerning this city of which you say it is given into the hand of the king of Babylon by sword, by famine, and by pestilence. Behold, I will gather them from all the countries to which I drove them in my anger and my wrath and in great indignation. I will bring them back to this place. And I will make them dwell in safety. And they shall be my people. And I will be their God. I will give them one heart heart. and one way that they may fear me forever. Forever, Nick? Forever. For their own good and the good of their children after them. Oh, I will make with them an everlasting covenant that I will not turn away from doing good to them. And I will put the fear of me in their hearts that they may not turn from me. I will rejoice in doing them good. And I will plant them in this land in faithfulness with all my heart and with all my soul. Man, Israel is forecasted in the entire book of consolation to never turn from God again. And to be permanently planted in the land of their inheritance. In fact, God is going to do this with all of his heart and with all of his soul. All of his being, he says. Did you hear how they will be given one heart, one way? Fear me forever? 
Man, this clearly indicates that a time is coming when Israel will be sinless, without sin, glorified, made like Adonai. Has this happened yet? No. no. Are you sure? Yeah. This is unfulfilled? Yeah. Somebody say, this is unfulfilled. We've been through Jeremiah 31 and 32, so we're going to take an excerpt from chapter 33. Just to key you in so we have some idea of why we're helping you come to recognize the ultimate fulfillment, but also stating that it has not been fulfilled. It's because on national TV, faithless people in the name of Jesus Christ are right now saying that all of God's promises for Israel have already been fulfilled and passed. And the modern state of Israel is irrelevant. What you just read is what the new covenant produces in Israel, and it is not by any means fulfilled. 33 verse 24. Have you not observed that these people are saying, the Lord has rejected the two clans that he chose. Thus they have despised my people, so that they are no longer a nation in their sight. Saints, I hate that that directly applies to much of the Christian community, but it does. Hear what God says. Thus says the Lord, if I have not established my covenant with day and night and the fixed order of heaven and earth, then I will reject the offspring of Jacob and David, my servant, and will not choose one of his offspring to rule over the offspring of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. For I will restore their fortunes and will have mercy on them. Yes. Saints, this is an easy, teed-up answer. Who is the offspring of David? Israel. Who is the offspring of David? Messiah. There you go. You got back to Sunday school, Rob, and you got it. David, a physical human being, had sons. We did a slide for you just a little while ago where it went David, Solomon... Jesus. Saints, is Jesus physically ruling over the offspring of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob on a throne in the modern city of Jerusalem today? No. Clearly, the answer to that question is no. Messiah is not ruling on a physical throne in Israel at this point. So this promise is not anywhere near its completion. But once again, this does show you that Israel is predestined to have Messiah dwelling in their midst. To be in completely right order, in a glorified state where God dwells with them in their land. This time is coming. But this clearly has not taken place. So, if this hasn't taken place yet, then how exactly do we get to this predestined end? The destination that Israel is, is going to dwell in forever. Well, the answer to that is that we probably should have started at the beginning of the book of Consolation first, right? Turn with us to Jeremiah 30. Oh, I see what you're doing. Yeah, Jeremiah 30 is the description of how the new covenant will be manifested in its ultimate and complete form, but it starts here. This is the beginning tells us what must take place for 31, 32, and 33 to actually happen. We're going to start in verse 1 here. You guys there with us? Yeah. 
The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, write in a book all the words I have spoken to you. For behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will restore the fortunes of my people. Here it is again. Israel and Judah, says the Lord. And I will bring them back to the land that I gave to their fathers. And they shall take possession of it. As you can't miss that the subject matter of the entire book of consolation is Israel and Judah. The 12 tribes of Israel. All 12 of them. The coming verses are going to begin to describe the process that ushers in all of the still yet future results that are outlined in the next three chapters. Come on, this is good. Let's go to verse 4. These are the words that the Lord spoke concerning Israel and Judah. Thus says the Lord. We have heard a cry of panic. Of terror. And no peace. Ask now and see. Can a man bear a child? That's not supposed to happen. In Jeremiah's time, this was a rhetorical question. Unfortunately, we do have idiots asking that question in our modern setting. Can a man bear a child? Why then do I see every man with his hands on his stomach like a woman in labor? Why has every face turned pale? Guys, you cannot miss these labor pain imagery right here. Verses 5 and 6 that we just read depict a time when the labor pains are there, but it looks like there is absolutely no hope of giving birth to a child. He actually infers that it's a man and that it's not going to happen. Verse 7 goes on to say, Alas, alas, that day is so great. Catch this. There is none like it. None like it. It is a time of distress for Jacob, yet he shall be saved out of it. This time that's known as Jacob's trouble, it's described by Jeremiah as a time without comparison. There is none like it. Read Zechariah in your own time. There is no historical distress like the one that is still ahead of Israel. And those who would be saved along with her by standing with her. Saints, we told you that your pastors and elders have been in prayerful wrestling about what we share today. Can I tell you that I honestly, in my own perception of things, feel like it's inappropriate to talk about Israel's coming labor pains and expulsion while they're at war with a wicked, evil enemy that they should, must, and will prevail over. Having said that, our own sensibilities do not get to determine what we engage with in the scripture, and we can feel the Spirit of God wanting to warn this Gentile church about what the future holds, because it is your responsibility, our responsibility, to stand during the times ahead. Israel was expulsed from the land during the time of the Assyrian and Babylonian empires. Saints, those events were a brutal part of the difficult labor pains to produce salvation. Israel was expulsed from the land in the second century and remained outside the land until the recent 20th century time frame. Those events were a brutal part of the difficult labor pains to produce salvation. 
There is still yet a third expulsion or exile from the land in the future of Israel. And Jeremiah says that there will be none like it, meaning that the Holocaust does not compare to it. The current terrorist attacks do not compare to it. What is ahead is the most brutal time frame that looks like Israel is dead, but that is when life will be birthed. Saints, that's necessary for you and I to engage with because we can cheer about an anti-doctrine, but you need to know scripturally what it means. We're reversing ignorance today, and we're going to engage with the time that you were born to stand next to the Israel of Israel. This ultimate fulfillment of the new covenant comes through this terrible and difficult pathway. And it's in the midst of this greatest trial that Jeremiah says that they're going to be saved out of it. When life does not look like life can be produced, God will deliver his people. You need to remember that Jeremiah 30 is outlining what is required to initiate this total fulfillment of the new covenant. That new covenant that is first and foremost for Israel. And only after Israel is secondarily for those who not only believed but who stood with Israel. Verse 8 goes on to say, And it shall come to pass in that day, declares the Lord of hosts, that I will break his yoke from off your neck, and I will burst your bonds, and foreigners shall no more make a servant of him. But they shall serve the Lord their God and David their king, whom I will raise up for them. As we spent a considerable number of weeks teaching line by line in Jeremiah, with great emphasis On this book of consolation in chapters 30 through 33. And we strongly encourage you to revisit this teachings. They're available on our website. They're available on our app. And they are absolutely free of charge. A great reckoning day is coming upon the nations of the world. And it will be based upon how the nations relate to Israel during her darkest hours. If you're confused yourself as to how believers are supposed to relate to the nation of Israel during this time of chastisement and trial, then we want you to consider the prophetic writings about Edom and Moab along with many others. Edom and Moab are judged not only for what they did against Israel, but for also what help they failed to provide to Israel during her most dire moments up to this point. So it's not just what they did. It's not just standing opposed. No, the judgment occurred as wrath was being poured out and they looked upon their brothers and said, we will not help you in your time of need. Look, I don't want to derail Nick, but you've heard many sermons up to this point about the least of these. On the day that you are standing before the Israeli king of the world. He's not going to ask you just what did you do to my people. He's going to ask you, did you bring them water? Did you visit them while they were in prison? What did you do on their behalf? Edom and Moab stand as a prophetic warning to all Gentile nations. Look, from Genesis 4, there is no salvation apart from the people of salvation. No one picking up the book of Genesis and reading to Revelation could ever come away with any other concept. More than that, more than at any other point in the plan of God, the time of Jacob's trouble, 
the time of the labor pains that look like the very brink of death. Well, that time frame is what matters most for everyone who calls themselves a servant of the God of Israel. The idea that the church, as in a believing Gentile community as distinct from Israel, would be raptured from all responsibility during the moment of Israel's greatest need, well, is not only pathetically deficient of the power of Christ, it is also a spit in the face of Christ who laid down his life for Israel. Furthermore, it is a spit in the face of the 12 Jewish apostles who laid down their lives to get the gospel as far as us. National Israel is predestined to walk the path of crucified Messiah. You, you are called to carry your cross daily and follow the Ittai doctrine as laid down by the apostles, meaning it is our job to help them follow the path of crucified Messiah, and we will be redeemed together with them, yeah. but never apart from them. Yeah, that's right. So saints, we have to answer some questions as we are growing in our awareness of what it actually looks like to carry your cross. You really think you'd be saved if you don't stand with Israel through active deeds to help her stand? If you don't stand during her greatest hour of trial, how will you participate in her great hour of glorification, redemption, and establishment on the earth? Saints, you've already heard us say it. How about you try standing apart from Noah on the day of trial? Well, look, Noah, I am politically for you as an entity. I gave some money on TBN. Look, Noah, the thing is, I believe that your promises are already fulfilled and I've replaced you. So, no, I don't need to go stand with you and get in the boat. See, these kind of things would put you in immediate death. And it's not difficult for a child to understand who picks up the right end of the Tanakh. However, over the last 2,000 years... There's been an intentional gap that God has allowed that has been a part of the labor pains. And in it, we found some men are sheep and some men are goats in their theology. And it rests completely on them whether or not they believe the promises of God or faithful or faithless. We don't have time to tell you that John 4 in the New Testament clearly says that salvation is from the Jews. We've already told you that from the very beginning, there is no salvation apart from the people that God chooses. So with that in mind, we want to take a transition with you. 2 Timothy 3 clearly says that all Scripture is God-breathed. All Scripture is God-breathed. But for whatever reason, not just our modern audience, but you and I specifically, we've seen it more effective to center in on Jesus repeating what the prophets of old had already said hundreds of years before. Guys, with that in mind, we're going to move to Jesus' commentary on the book of Consolation, but also to Daniel and to Ezekiel as well as many other of the prophets. His commentary is commonly known where we will begin in Matthew chapter 24. And this depicts the transition from the Braxton Hicks contractions to the actual full-blown contractions and labor pains that are to come. The very ones that precede the ultimate fulfillment of life and birth. The birth of a redeemed and a glorified Israel. So this is Matthew 24 verse 3. 
As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be a sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. Catch verse 8. All these are but the beginning of birth pains. The beginning of birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Jesus explicitly states it. These are just the beginning of the birth pains. These are the signs that the times that Jeremiah 30 depicted are indeed coming. The you here in this passage, who do you think it is? Well, it's definitely the 12 Jewish apostles who will judge the 12 tribes of Israel. And it was these men's job to set the foundation for what all of Israel would need to walk through as they follow the path of their own crucified Messiah. And it is those, those who stand by Israel as she walks the path of their crucified Messiah, who will endure it with her to the ultimate result of salvation and of glory. Verse 10. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise. And lead many astray. How important do you think it is that we reverse ignorance now? And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many or most will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Saints, as we engage with this, Nick has already told you this is to the 12 foundational apostles. This is to Israel, and it is showing the pathway to their glorification. This is also to all who would believe in the Messiah and his coming, and you will see that. For years, you may have interacted with verse 13 that says the one who endures to the end will be saved. Today, we want you to have a growing awareness of what that means. That means that in the greatest trial that has ever come upon the earth, you must be standing in the midst of it, advocating for God's people, God's plan, and God's place. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Look, the gospel of the kingdom is the redeemed and glorified nation of Israel set up on the earth i.e. the message of all the preceding prophets that Jesus is referring to. If you don't understand that, I commend you to our Acts teachings. <laughs> National Israel will walk through this suffering and they will enter into glory in the same manner that their crucified Messiah suffered and then was raised. Those who endure to the end with Israel will be saved with Israel. Amen. Those who do not endure with Israel will not be saved at all, wow. just like missing Noah's boat. Let's take verse 15. 
So when you see the abomination of desolation, spoken of by the prophet Daniel, see how he points straight back? Standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Yeah, that's right. You and I as the readers are expected to already understand what Daniel the prophet has said and all of the prophets. Verse 16, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down to take what is in his house. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas for women who are pregnant. Man, there's that imagery again. And for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that your flight may not be in winter or on a Sabbath. For then there will be great tribulation. Hear this. Such as has not been from the beginning of the world until now, no, and never will be. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. For the sake of the elect, the elect, the electos, those days will be cut short. It's Jeremiah 30 that indicates that this time is what actually precedes salvation and life for God's people. Guys, this is the labor of pain that looks like total death just before that actual life is birthed. The plain language of the text indicates that there is no historical distress like the one that is still ahead of Israel. And those who would be saved along with her. And the Holocaust itself is no comparison to what is to come. You guys heard it. You heard the word elect. You were able to connect the dots between elect and Israel. And it's for the sake of all of Israel that God will make sure that those days are cut short so that the remnant of Israel is able to remain and not all of them are slain. We taught this in great depth in our Daniel studies, which are available on our app, on our website. But for now, I just want to read Daniel 7.21 to you to help you with the context that you are already supposed to understand. So Daniel 7, 21 through 22, let the reader understand. As I looked, this horn made war with the saints and prevailed over them until the ancient of days came and judgment was given for the saints of the Most High. And the time came when the saints possessed the kingdom. The final birth is going to cause Israel and those who stand with her to be brought to the point of death. That point of death is exactly where the moment of life is actually birthed. This is not a battle that Israel or those with her will win. You hear me? It's a battle that we lose. But Messiah himself delivers his people and us standing with his people where no man possibly could. Saints, I want to help you with attention. In this house, we preach and teach about the victorious church of Jesus Christ. You are the victorious church of Jesus Christ. You have overcome the world because of what has been born of God inside of you. You are not a victim. And Israel is not a victim. 
But the victorious church will overcome in the same way as our crucified Jewish Messiah overcame. No man took his life from him. He laid it down, and in his greatest victory was his death that didn't stay in death. It was raised to eternal life. Sam Booth, let's continue to verse 29. Immediately after the tribulation. I'm going to read this again. Immediately after the tribulation. Do you mean to tell me that Messiah ushered in salvation, became glorified and seated at the right hand of the Father after the tribulation, and he expects his nation and his adoptees to do the same thing? Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Thanks, there is a great and terrible day. I mean... A king who is coming in glory and is nothing but majesty. And he is also a terrible and fearful sight. Even the powers of the heavens are going to shake at his arrival. But not before we have stood with Israel in that trial. Your station and your status on the day that he returns will determine for you whether he is majesty or he is terror. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the son of man. Do you long for the return of Christ in this house? Then we must brace ourselves and begin to prepare our generations to stand through Jacob's trouble because there is no other way to see the Son of Man and that be a good thing for you. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Jesus is telling you about the time that he will come back and the differences and response that men will have at his sight. But hear this next verse, and I'm telling you, he's making a transition. We're not talking about the nations and tribes that are mourning. It says he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect. They will gather Israel that has been exiled again throughout the earth. He knows them by name. He will send his angels for them. They will gather them from the furthest corners of the earth. From one end of heaven to the other. So this stated plainly. Israel is the elect to be gathered. Which is what Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and every other prophet depict after the tribulation or the final labor pains. Right. Saints, this is the pathway to immortality. It is through the crucifixion. This should not come as a surprise to any of us, and yet there are areas we have been ignorant of the actual truth of the gospel that must show up in our convictions and our courage. See, we want your understanding of the Tanakh to grow. But more than that, we want your understanding of the conviction you must possess to succeed in this to grow. Israel will walk the path of crucified Messiah. They're predestined to do so, and their God is able to carry them through it. The Ittais have a choice as to who wants to enter the kingdom with her. Well, to do so, we must walk alongside her as she follows the path of Messiah and aid her in the endeavor. 
to avoid or bow out of this labor pain is to divest yourself of an opportunity to gain glory for your king and inherit the kingdom that is conferred upon those who stand with Israel and with the Messiah of Israel during her trials. Saints, will you stand with them in this house? Yes. Are you sure? Will you stand with them in this house? Yes. Then take a minute and follow Marlon Sosa's example and get on your feet. Saints, we're an hour and seven minutes in and this is not going to be another two-hour sermon. It could be, and we wouldn't mind it being. But our aim is not just to fill your intellect, it's to begin to move something inside of your heart. So we're going to begin to pray for a minute before we continue. Before we do, we want you to consider a few questions. When you say you will stand and you will be an Ittai, will you stand with them through their path of crucifixion? Will you stand with them as the horn makes war with the saints and prevails and the power of the holy people is broken? Will you stand when we lose and die? Because that is the only way to actually come to the birth of salvation. So if that's a commitment you're making, we're asking you to raise your hands with us for a moment. We're going to pray that courage and conviction would enter us before we continue. Father, we thank you that there is a growing awareness of your plan. Lord, we ask, as we prayed before we started this message, that you would give us the ability to understand your scriptures and go beyond just the things we want to apply to us and stare in the face of what is required to follow in your footsteps. Lord, we're asking that your spirit of power, of love, of self-discipline that drives out fear might baptize us again. Well, that in fathers and mothers in this room, you might begin to prepare their hearts. That they would have the courage to offer themselves and their children for your purposes. Knowing that their blood will be added to the blood of Christ in the effort to see your people redeemed. Stir us in this room, mighty one, and give us your mind. Give us your spirit. Move on our behalf, mighty one. In the name of Jesus, we pray. You guys can take a seat. For now, as you're taking a seat, it's for some time now that we've been highlighting to you about our own personal need, God's direction to sow our sons and invest into the Middle East. As we're talking about this, you guys should beginning to be connecting the dots for you, and we're going to help you. But we know that God is already opening up your minds, not just to the scriptures, but also to his plan in a greater measure this morning. We are going to sow our sons into Egypt, Saudi Arabia, nations like Lebanon, Turkey, Iran, Iraq, various Arabian nations. This is directly related to the time of Jacob's trouble. This time, as you know, is going to surpass the Holocaust. This is the very reason why we are establishing the One Association Europe. It's for this very purpose. To be a bow, to be a launching pad among many others that is going to seed the entire region of Aswan with men who both love Jews and who love the God of Israel. 
and will be willing to lay down their lives and the lives of their children to see that plan accomplished. To begin to approach a subject that is way larger than any reasonable time allotment that we have for today, we're going to take Micah 5 as a place that will whet your appetite in the progress of reversing this ignorance. Saints, do we have to tell you everything that we know, or can we give you a sampling and whet your appetite so that you begin to reverse your own ignorance? Guys, as we go, you should know that Micah's work, he's a contemporary of the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah, who spoke of a yet future return from exile in Israel's future. One that would be from the surrounding nations, and you guys know that. And despite the fact that Assyria was a threat during Micah's day, much of what the prophet Micah wrote was considered by first century Jews to yet still be part of their future. And we're going to show you that right out of the gate in Micah 5.1. Micah writes, Now muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is laid against us. With a rod they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek, struck on the cheek with a rod, and the famous verse two, but you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, you are too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you shall come forth for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. Guys, this passage is universally understood to be about Jesus. The blow that he endured on his cheek, the location of his very origin, they are not disputed by any competent scholar throughout history. However, the coming verses, what we're about to read, which the prophet depicts in the same breath regarding the time of the last birth pains, well, it's something that can only be completed in the context of Jacob's trouble, at the ultimate fulfillment of Messiah's appearing. Somebody say ultimate fulfillment. fulfillment. We're going to get verse 3. Therefore he, singular masculine, shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. Saints, we're going to move through this at a brisk pace because we don't have time to cover every aspect of it. But again, we'd like to remind you universally, 100%, completely, T, totally, there is no one who does not recognize that verses 1 through 2 are clearly about Jesus. This verse in 3 has, however, confused many, many well-meaning theologians. Verse 3, when it says they or she, That is a clear reference to Israel, who is personified as a woman in labor. Have you ever wondered why there's more than a 2,000-year gap between Christ's comings and the ultimate salvation of Israel? I mean, if you're reasonably literate in the word, you might have noticed that the appearance of Messiah and the prophets is always connected to the total restoration of Israel, and yet you did not see that in the first century. Micah here would suggest that there's a required time of experiencing the agony of labor pains before you get to the return and salvation of the brothers of Israel. There are required labor pains before the redemption, salvation, and full glorification of Israel. 
as well as those who stand here. And that cannot happen until the Messiah has appeared and a time to agonize the good agony has occurred. So to say this plainly, there is no redemption, salvation, or glorification for any man who does not stand with Israel during Messiah's allotted period for her to labor in the effort to produce salvation. I want to show you a slide again that Nick hinted at the fact that you may not have understood it originally. Jesus absolutely came in the first century. He fulfills verses 1 and 2 of Micah. He is the offspring of David and descended through Solomon. Micah also depicts in verse 3 that after seeing his appearing, there would be a time where they were given over to labor pains prior to his coming when all of their brothers would be gathered back, all of Israel would be restored, when the desolation is reversed and Israel is glorified. Meaning that the time frame we're speaking about in Jacob's trouble, yes, it will be at the hands of wicked men, but it is also in the perfect sovereignty of God, what he is destined for his people and for those who choose to stand with her. Saints, the whole world is offered a choice. And that Messiah has demonstrated his salvation and he has given us time to walk out his path of crucifixion prior to his arrival. And he will ensure that his predestination is ready on that day. The real question is to a Gentile audience that has grown up in a Christian environment that says that the word is about you, that says you will be raptured from all responsibility, that says there will be nothing but health, wealth, and prosperity. Do you have the kind of conviction that will carry you and generations after you through this time of trouble that God has ordered to come upon the earth? Saints, we are going to keep moving, but you need to know that when you see this in verse 3, it means that this time of tribulation is God-ordained, but it also means that God has never forgotten his people. He's the one who allowed the time gap and has been watching it the whole time and is waiting for the moment that it is time for salvation to be birthed in Israel. So let's get verse 4 and we're going to keep rolling. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. This is the promise of the new covenant, that Israel will be fully gathered, fully restored, fully redeemed, saved, and glorified. And this is after the time of Jacob's trouble. It's after the labor pains. We're going to hear the next verses as the very description of the final battle, and it's beginning to build and take note of the ancient power and the geographic region that is the Antichrist. Verse 5 says, and he shall be their peace when the Assyrian, the Assyrian comes into our land and treads in our palaces, then we will raise against him seven shepherds and eight princes of men. They shall shepherd the land of Assyria with the sword and the land of Nimrod at its entrances. And he, meaning Messiah, shall deliver us from the Assyrian when he comes into our land and treads within our border. Then the remnant of Jacob shall be in the midst of many peoples. 
like dew from the Lord, like showers on the grass, which delay not for a man, nor wait for the children of man. And the remnant of Jacob shall be among the nations, in the midst of many peoples, like a lion among the beasts of the forest, like a young lion among the flocks of the sheep, which when it goes through, treads down and tears in pieces, and there is none to deliver. Your hand shall be lifted up over your adversaries, and all your enemies shall be cut off. Yes. Plainly put, this passage retains the singular masculine form all the way through it. It's that same judge of Israel. The same one that was struck with a rod on his cheek. The same one who was born and came out of Bethlehem. The same one who is of old and from ancient days. This is the one who is the Messiah of Israel. This is the one who delivers his people and cuts off all of their enemies. This glorious culmination of the birthing pains, these real contractions that are yet to come, and the culmination unto death is not an easy process, church, but the hardest time that has ever been for the brothers of Messiah. But... The culmination of their own resurrection and victory is equally as victorious. Just in these last verses, you realize that the Assyrian, the Antichrist, will be put down and Israel, Israel will rule his land, it says. Israel will be like a lion among the beasts of the forest. They will be the apex predator for the first time in their history. They will be the top of the food chain. The nation of Adonai, together with Messiah, they will rule and tread down. They will tear into pieces. They will be lifted above all their adversaries and will cut off all of their enemies. Birthing pains for Israel have, at last, at this point, giving birth to resurrection life. Saints, I want to make two comments and cut to the chase. We are going to Isaiah 49. And you're going to need to wipe away your preconceived notion that you already understand it. Micah 2, Micah 5, verses 1 and 2, you can clearly see fulfilled. It speaks of a time gap, and then you can see a process where a northern antichrist figure must reign for a time. It looks as if it's brief in Micah 5. I assure you it's not, and we're about to move entirely off that subject. But go read Zechariah in your own time. Go review Ezekiel 38 and 39. Go read the prophets. There is a time that has been appointed for us. And we want you to understand why we have been preaching and teaching about the need to sow 100 families into the Middle East for years upon years now. We want you to understand your role in the plan of God. Because there are difficulties coming that I assure you. The word-light Christian world is not going to stand in, and it will only be those who endure to the end. So let's go ahead and pick up in Isaiah 49. Verse 8. Thus says the Lord, in a time of favor I have answered you. In a day of salvation I have helped you. I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people. To establish the land. To apportion the desolate heritages. Saints, you need to know that this is both a word to the prophet Isaiah. And it is also a word spoken about Israel itself. 
We've talked to you about labor pains that get increasingly hard the closer you are to producing salvation. We've talked to you about a pathway towards immortality that is a rough and difficult road but ends in life. This passage is speaking about the future destination of Israel. After having gone through the time frame that we are speaking of, the time of Jacob's trouble, there will be favor. There will be a day of salvation. And Israel will become a covenant to the people and a portion desolate inherit, desolate heritages. Not only will Israel be restored, Israel will become the instrument of salvation upon the earth. Verse 9 goes on and it says, saying to prisoners, come out to those who are in darkness. Appear, they shall feed along the ways. On all bare heights, they shall be their pasture. They shall not hunger or thirst. Neither scorching wind nor sun shall strike them. For he who has pity on them will lead them by springs of water and will guide them. And I will make all my mountains a road, and my highways shall be raised up. Behold, these shall come from afar, and behold, these from the north and from the west, and these from the land of Sinem or a swan. Saints, the chosen people will be regathered from the ends of the earth, but primarily from the regions outlined in the biblical text, north and west of Israel, from the region of a swan. As true adopted sons, it is required that we and our children die along with Israel, both in the land of Israel and in the nations that hate Israel and will take her into captivity. We will be in the nation surrounding Israel and lay down our lives to care for her captives. Places like Egypt are explicitly said in the text to be a place of refuge during times of trial as men and women flee from the coming time of trial on Israel. But there must be men and women who will receive them in those locations. Saints, we want to tell you plainly that if you genuinely are in love with Jesus Christ, that if you genuinely love His Word, that if you are a part of the body of Messiah, then all desire to be raptured must be removed from you. That our desire to bring glory to our King during the darkest days on earth, but also the greatest hour of His plan on earth, must rise to become a conviction that we teach on a generational level. We are not waiting for these things to happen to Israel alone, and then salvation enters. We are waiting for these things to happen to Israel and us, because we are the body of Messiah together. If you are not found to have stood by Israel in her trials, you will not enter the kingdom of Israel that is the age to come. If we do stand with Israel during her hour of trial, well, then you will have found the pathway of life as you follow Israel and the path of crucified Messiah. All that we've seen thus far are the beginnings of birth pains. Don't misunderstand us. What is happening right now is a necessary part of the process, but it is not the labor pains. But saints, can we tell you that the heavy contractions are coming fast upon us and that God has been speaking to this body about this for years now? We didn't go through the teachings in Jeremiah for no reason. We haven't had a sense of urgency and you haven't heard messages about the last hour for no reason. Our God is giving us the opportunity to solidify our own convictions and reverse the ignorance of our times so that we are ready. Verse 13 says, sing for joy, O heavens, 
and exult, O earth. Break forth, O mountains, into singing. What an interesting thing to say. For the Lord has comforted his people and will have compassion on his afflicted. Before we move to verse 14, you will remember that the whole earth, all of creation is groaning in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. And now in verse 13, we can see that the heavens and the earth and even the mountains are breaking forth into song because the sons of God are being revealed to all creation. Verse 14, but Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me. My Lord has forgotten me. Can a woman forget her nursing child? That she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? But even these may forget. Yet I will not forget you. This is an eternal promise that will not move and it never will. Whether it be Israel being separated into two and exiled to other nations. He says I will not forget you. Or their Messiah being initially rejected and struck on the cheek like Micah 5 depicts. Or a second exile. Or a third exile. Adonai has not and will never forget about his people. Guys, what is required of both you and them together? We're going to have the privilege through terribly difficult times ahead to speak the words of Adonai to his people, to his nation. Hey, this is hard. This is the hardest thing that we collectively have ever done. But remember, Adonai will not forget you. Adonai will not forsake you. He is here with you, and I am here as a Gentile to stand next to you and remind you of that fact. Amen. 16, behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. Hear me, Israel is called to follow the path of their crucified Messiah but it may be in the sovereignty of God that they foresee the engraving on the hands of Christ through the nails that are driven through your hands for their sake. We are those who follow Christ. Christ was pierced for the sake of Israel. Don't tell me that you bear his name and that you yourself are going to skip out. You yourself are going to run away from the same crucifixion that he suffered for his brothers. It cannot be and it will not be. It won't. 17, your builders make haste. Your destroyers and those who laid you waste go out from you. Lift up your eyes around and see. They all gather. They come to you. As I live, declares the Lord, you shall put them all on as an ornament. You shall bind them on as a bride does. You shall. Surely your waste in your desolate places and your devastated land. Surely now you will be too narrow for your inhabitants. You're going to be too small because the prosperous time of these inhabitants will be so much. And those who swallowed you up will be far away. The children of your bereavement will yet say in your ears, the place is too narrow for me. Make room for me to dwell in. Then you will say in your heart, who has borne me these? I was bereaved. I was barren, exiled and put away. But who has brought up these? Behold, I was left alone. And where have these come from? 
as, as we read through these verses. You can picture these kind of groanings, these statements being articulated. But this very time of bereavement that we are preaching to you about this morning, this time of labor pains, they do not end in a permanent death. And what's more, they end in life, salvation, and a prosperous time for all of God's people. It will produce a remnant that has survived who are able to say, we made it through the final contraction. And now the land is even too narrow for us because of our prosperous time. Out of the bereavement of the exile, captivity and destruction, Israel will again be full of new life. Their labor pains will not go on forever. It's always at the point of death where it seems like no life can ever happen again. That his very power is put on display and he will do and he will accomplish what no man, what no earthly power, what no right hand is able to produce. God Adonai will accomplish this for his people. It's always his supernatural ability to work through weak circumstances to produce salvation. We know this. And the better question is, will you have stood by his nation during their trials? Will you have done this or will you have stood at a comfortable distance while claiming to believe in Messiah, their Messiah? And verse 22 is incredible because this is the call to all the Ittais in the room. Verse 22 is God speaking to those who wish to stand in his plan and his purposes during the time ahead. Thus says the Lord God, behold, I will lift up my hand to the nations and raise my signal to the peoples or Gentiles, and they shall bring your sons and their arms, and your daughters shall be carried on their shoulders. Kings shall be your foster fathers, and their queens your nursing mothers. With their faces to the ground, they shall bow down to you and lick the dust of your feet. Then, then you will know that I am the Lord. Those who wait for me shall not be put to shame. Saints, we're coming to the crux of something we want to share in, with you in Genesis. That's going to require that we cut a couple of things out because I want to stay on this point of the requirement that we have. But you need to know that this is spoken to the lands that they will go into captivity in. Meaning that the primary emphasis of this promise of Gentiles picking up Jews and putting them on their shoulders, hearing and answering the call of God. Well, it must come from a swan. That means that it is our job to carve out a remnant of men in the most hostile, antichristic religion that has ever existed. The land surrounding Israel are Muslim dominated and Islam is the antichrist religion. For us to fulfill our role as Ittais, it means that we must see a remnant of men among the antichrist religion that will give their lives for the people of Israel. And it is our job to bring it there. 
Saints, the gospel did not originate in the United States. It originated in the Middle East, starting with Israel, moved to places like Turkey. Everything that you read in the book of Acts is surrounding places that have been swallowed by a terrible fourth beast that works to destroy everything within its power. That means that what we have received must go from Rome all the way back to Jerusalem, and it is our obligation to take the free gift given to us and bring it back to them. How do we relate to individual members of the Antichrist religion? We preach and teach about its evils, and it is, and it is doomed to destruction. It is the manifestation of Satan's will on the planet. And yet members who are currently held captive by the Antichrist religion are those who are destined to carry Jews on their shoulders back to the God of Israel. See, we need more Ittais and we need specific Ittais. We need Ittais from the areas of the world that God says in his Bible that there must be those who will carry them back. That in mind, we began talking to you about the pathway to salvation or immortality about the labor pains that produce life did you remember that isaac was abraham's only son and that he was the reckoning of the promise saints nothing about god's decision that has changed isaac is the promised son and the people of israel are the promise bearers do you remember though that technically speaking Isaac was not literally the only son that had come from Abraham's body. Ishmael. Ishmael also came from Abraham and is a part of the family of Abraham. It would be a mistake to consider him as something other than the family of Abraham. My brother is going to pick up from here. And there's some things that we want to share with you, but I want to tell you in advance. You should pay attention. There was an anointed message preached called Orphan. That in a satanic plot is one of a few sermons out of thousands that cannot be found on recording on our website, app, anywhere else, and vanished into thin air. But there was a diligent student in the room that I'm thankful for that has impeccable notes about it and has spent his life working to prepare his family to fulfill what was preached in that message. Because as Gentiles, it is our responsibility to make sure that there are members of the Gentile world who will answer God's call that says, pick my sons up and bring them where they belong. Isaac was chosen. But Ishmael, in reality, should be the best advocate for his brother Isaac. Ishmael should be the one that is the most on his side. The one who sacrifices the most for all his descendants and his inheritance to make sure that it happens. And the reality of that today is he couldn't be any more of an enemy to the people of God or the plan of God. Orphan was a message that in some insidious plots hatched by Satan was not preserved on a recording. One of the astounding revelations in that message was that all the nations outside of Israel are considered goyim, Gentiles. But Ishmael in particular is considered the Gentile of Gentiles. 
Because of his role that threatened the recognition of the promised son, Isaac. As in reality, Abraham's friends are not really Gentiles. Noah, you know, was not really a Gentile. As the first real Gentile in scripture was actually Ishmael. It was the very separation between Isaac and Ishmael that created the pool of Gentiles that the Bible talks about explicitly. We are Gentiles in a broad sense, but the most specific sense is Ishmael, his family, and his entire family line. When you explore this concept on a modern day level, just like the message that Orphan did, and the extent to which Paul's writings in Romans eleven fourteen, well, they become incredibly pertinent to this side of our conversation. He talks about arousing his fellow Jews to jealousy, to envy. And this is most fully fulfilled in sons of Ishmael who turn back to the God of Israel, who learn to love the Messiah of Israel, and who consider the sons of Israel their real brothers. We want you to engage with this next slide before we visit Genesis together as we're coming to a close. I want to talk to you about the corruption of Ishmael. The first major corruption of Ishmael is the thought, the planted seed that God is not my father. Look, you can find even today in Surah 17, 111, that Allah has never had any offspring. As this is just one of the thousands and thousands of explicit interpretations that put this out plainly. The second one, Ishmael believes to this day that I am not a son and I cannot be a son. You can find that in Surahs like 2391. Thirdly, Ishmael believes beyond a shadow of a doubt, willing to die for it, sacrifice for it, and kill for it, that Isaac is not my brother. You can find that in Surah 5, 59 through 60. When you read through Genesis 21, this is the origination point of these three lies of corruption. This is the very seed that started this corruption all the way through Ishmael's line and permeated Ishmael's religion to this day. As the Muslims are who we're talking about. The ones who have seeded the lands and countries throughout the Middle East and surrounding Israel. We want you to rem remember some aspects about this story in Genesis 21 because they're important. Ishmael was, technically speaking, the actual firstborn son of Abraham. He was loved. He was nurtured by Abraham for somewhere between 16 and 19 years. Can you imagine that? But his future and his entire worldview would be changed in an instant in Genesis 21. Ishmael in this chapter was sent away. He was with his mother Hagar, but they went into the desert, away from his father, away from everything he once knew. And even Hagar in this story leaves Ishmael to die in the desert by himself for a time. How do you think that this son was feeling at his time of abandonment? It's from these very events that we see the manifestation of the worldwide view 
of the entirety of Ishmael's religion to this day. Just to make sure you don't miss it, Islam traces its heritage through Abraham and specifically states that Isaac is not the promised son and Ishmael is. The actual pathway of salvation that we started with is how the Bible presents salvation and Islam says the exact opposite, that Isaac was rejected and Ishmael is who they descend through. So it's from the events of Genesis 21 as the foundation that is the manifestation of the worldview of all of Islam to this day. It's not just Ishmael that retained these things. Muslims do not see God as a father, period. God can have no son. Muslims see themselves as slaves and not sons, period. And Isaac and the Jews, well, they are continuously viewed to this day as the pinnacle of the Muslim's source of problems. As for the sake of God's people, Israel, for the sake of the salvation of Israel, we're going to seed these nations with the gospel. We're going to raise up Ittai's out of the Gentile of Gentile nations. And we're going to see this corruption of Ishmael's descendants broken, their restoration and their desire to commit to the same level with Israel as you are rising up to commit to today. Saints, to help you paint the picture we've been preaching and teaching for years about the need to go to Aswan, that we must sow a hundred families into the Middle East. You help you understand why this is so dire, is that the entire plan of God rests upon an Israel that walks the path of crucified Messiah and Gentiles that will stand with her and respond to the call, but no Gentile any more than those who live around Israel. So literally the place that we must have Gentiles raised up who will stand with Israel during her trial is seated with a religion that is diametrically opposed to the promise of God, that believes that Isaac is the problem. That Israel is the problem. This is not about politics, no matter what you see on the news. This is about a deep-seated issue that has been there since Genesis 21. Instead of supporting their brother and saying, yes, he is the promised son, I will stand with him. Just like Ham and Japheth have the opportunity to do coming into the tent of Shem. He rejected the pathway to salvation. He rejected the pathway to the birth of salvation. And to this day, they are still rejecting it. And it is our job to bring the message of what it looks like to be transformed and love the God of Israel. But we can't do it if we don't sow families there. So why one association in Europe? Because it's as close as we could get. It's where God allowed us to begin with nations that are on the edge of the Middle East and with so sons and soldiers that are willing to spend their lives in these countries. Romania is going to be listening to this. We've never spoken to them about anything other than what God does in them is for the purpose of bringing the gospel back to Jerusalem. But you know what? They're excited to lose their lives for that endeavor. The things that we are rallying and selling everything that we have, which started at the beginning of the year with a beautiful dually, with a trailer, we've stripped everything down. This is not a fundraising message. 
It's because it is the plan of God, and we must do all to ensure that it succeeds. Genesis 25 is the answer as to how we will complete this process. Verse 7. These are the days of the years of Abraham's life. 175 years. Abraham believed, breathed his last and died in a good old age, an old man and full of years, and was gathered to his people. Isaac and Ishmael, his sons. How is it that the scripture can say, Isaac, your only son, and the scripture itself can say, Isaac and Ishmael, your sons? Because at the death of Abraham, something changed. Many things were spawned from Ishmael that we are still struggling with today. I mean, it is the battle of our time. But the scripture itself presents that Isaac is the promised son. But when Ishmael returns to his brother to draw close to the father, that once again, they are sons of the same household. These are the brothers that must hear the signal of God and carry Jews back on their shoulders. Isaac and Ishmael, his sons, buried him in the cave of Machpelah. In the field at Ephron, the son of Zor, the Hittite son of Mamre, the field that Abraham purchased from the Hittites. There Abraham was buried with Sarah, his wife. Saints, this is the first time that Isaac and Ishmael are seen back together since the events of chapter 21. In a sense, there's a remez or a prophetic hint here about the death that is required to bring these two sons back together. Saints, we just want to tell you plainly, rather than dragging a teaching out, Abraham's death was the only thing that brought about this reconciliation and caused Ishmael to come to Isaac's side. Father Abraham is in the great cloud of witnesses, and I can't wait to meet him. In his absence, though, it's the blood of your sons and daughters that are going to have to bring about this reconciliation. Your blood, your death will have to do it. The little ones that are sitting on the front row staring at us. It is our job to bring this about through the laying down of our own lives so that the plan and purposes of God for Israel can stand. Look, just like in this passage... Our own death will, in fact, bring these two estranged sons back together again. The answer to the Antichrist religion, as well as the lukewarm, sleepy church, is to reconnect with the people, plan, and place that God has designated with no compromise. This will bring them onto the pathway of salvation. Ishmael's only hope is coming back to Father Abraham and loving his brother Isaac. Then, and only then, can they find true sonship in Christ? These are the days of reversing ignorance about the plan of salvation, reversing ignorance about the courage it will require of us, reversing ignorance about the depth of the conviction that we must have. And with nine minutes left on the clock, Pastor Eric, would you take over? You did it to me last week. You can't buy this kind of revelation, and the men that are selling their revelation 
it's not worth buying. I'm not going to go through N.T. Wright and Hank Hanegraaff and all of the people that are filling my YouTube feeds, although I've never searched their names. It's almost like the spirit of the world is trying to confuse this message. Those men may be men who love the Lord and should be respected for that, but they're dead wrong. We've been preaching and teaching this for many years. And because of that, I have a few answers to questions. And you haven't thought of the questions yet. And I'm going to do it anyway. When you're sitting around later today, you should listen to the message again. Later in this week, you should listen to the message again. Before next Sunday, you should listen to the message again because you didn't get it all. I know you. I've been preaching to you for three decades. You and the One Association need to listen to this message more than once and should probably listen to the last three weeks in order so that you might begin to grasp it. Angels long to look into these things, and it's being revealed to us. So let's talk about some questions that you haven't thought of, and I'm just going to give you the answers to those questions in advance. They happen to be written in the blank pages of my Bible. One of the biggest things that you will encounter is, yeah, but wait, wait, what, uh, what about, like, wasn't this already done at the cross? Aren't we just one new man now? That's because you didn't start at the right end of the book, so you don't understand what Paul is saying. I'm going to just rattle off a few passages for you with a question of how saved are you actually? Because you think that you're saved now and you speak of saved in the past tense and because you're saved, it's all already done. Oh yeah, and something for Israel. Then why does Romans 8.23 say, as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies? That's because you claim to be in the new covenant now, and at best, it's been conceived in you, and there's a gestation period full of labor pains before the new covenant is actually born in reality in the world. It hasn't happened yet. It's been announced like an engagement. The wedding and the birth have not happened. It happens when you are physically released from death. Right now, you're spiritually released from death, but... Hairs are still getting gray. Pastors are still sick. Elders are still in emergency rooms because we are not actually physically saved yet. So the problem comes in when we try to hear a message like this and you say, yeah, but wait a minute. Hasn't so many of these things already occurred? No, you are not Israel and it has not occurred, period. Why does 1 Corinthians 15, 54 say, Then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. Because it hasn't actually been swallowed up in victory yet. Then shall come to pass. You have received the promise. It is in your heart. And in some sense, you've passed from death to life, but you haven't actually done it yet. Why does Romans 13, 11 say salvation is nearer to us than when we first believed? That's because you don't actually have it yet. Our problems all start when we act like the story is already over. Instead of the seeds of it born in your heart and it's still to be carried out. That's where your questions will come this week. But what about this? What, I'll give you a good one just 
I, again, I'm raising questions for you you haven't thought to ask. Wait a minute. Micah was prophesying with Isaiah. There was an Assyrian invasion in Isaiah and Micah's day. Isn't that what it's speaking about? Of course it's not, because the events described in Isaiah and in Micah never happened in human history. Sennacherib didn't die within the borders of Israel. Uh, there were not shepherds that were raised up under Messiah who defeated him. You say, did Hezekiah do that? No, you have to learn the difference between receiving the seed of something that will later come into full bloom and having it now. You're not yet saved. Israel is not yet saved. And you are definitely not Israel, no matter what the Bible teachers tell you. What you heard today is the pathway we must walk in and the courage that you have to begin to... Courage is just another word for faith. Okay, Romans eleven fifteen. 15. I, I don't know if I can read it here. Let's just put it here. Romans eleven fifteen. For if their rejection brought reconciliation to the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? That is the end of the pathway. And you just heard how we get there. And it involves... It involves a greater tribulation, a time of Jacob's trouble. Go read Jeremiah 30. That puts great tribulation on Israel and anyone who stands with them before we receive life from the dead. It also involves another expulsion. I don't want to talk about that. It just is what it is. And the Bible says that Gentiles... Primarily, we're speaking about men in the region of Aswan, right here, yellow on the map. The Bible takes place between Turkey and Egypt with Israel in the center. Those are the major players in the nation, functioning like a taxi cab because of faith. I see, go back and look at Jesus' first sermon. You, you read Isaiah 61. It's all about the release of prisoners. You say, well, I was a prisoner, I was, I was a release. No, you were sitting in your bedroom. You, you, you were on a padded thing. Those words have actual meaning and will have more literal meaning in the future, okay? We've spiritualized everything and made it already having occurred. It hasn't. That is the end of the plan right there. Do you all see that? Okay, I'm going to drop a soda on you and I'm going to close. I don't know how we got these two-hour messages. To get to the soda. And I'm not going to explain it. I'm going to give you something to talk about today. All I got to do is find it in my Bible. Luke 9. Who's the embodiment of the law, like the biggest figure in all of the law that you can read about in the Bible? Moses. Moses. How about that? Who's the most famous prophet in Israel's history prior to Jesus? Do you mean that Moses and Elijah embody all that the law and the prophets would talk about? Do you remember that Moses in Deuteronomy 28 and 29 forecast the expulsion of Israel and the return to the land? These brothers went a long ways today to show that the prophets all forecast the expulsion of Israel from the land and being brought back. And I wish it was all already done, but it's not. All right, you ready? Luke 9. Luke 9, 29. And as he was praying... The appearance of his face was altered, and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah. Would you love to know what they talked about? 
I love when the next verse says it. Who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. If we could ever interpret the verse right, it would help us so much. His departure. What were Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus about? Oh, well, he's going to be crucified. Is that what it says they're talking about? No. He's going to be resurrected. Is that what it says they're talking about? If you get a decent footnote in your Bible, it says that they were talking about his departure or his exodus, which he would bring about for Jerusalem. Now, if you're a Jew and you're reading that, what exodus stands out to you in history? When the nation was born, one of many times, in a single day. They came out of the nations under the blood of the Lamb. They passed through waters, and they followed the leading of God's Spirit by a cloud by day. Jesus was going to accomplish another exodus for the nation. You say, all that was done at the cross. No, Moses and Elijah are talking with Jesus about what will occur to get us to Romans eleven fifteen. He was talking about an upcoming exodus. Jeremiah tells you there's a time coming when you won't remember the ark or that you came out of Egypt because the latter exodus is so much greater than the first one. Can I tell you that you need your minds open to the scripture? We prayed before this service started. And we asked that God would breathe upon you to begin to understand these things. I realize that many people have no appetite for the level of teaching that we are giving. I get that. I'm hoping that that's different for you. I'm hoping that you will actually contemplate it. Because we're setting out on an ambitious plan that is directed by God that we're investing every single Stevens into in some way or another and many of your sons and daughters. We're going to see the nations surrounding Israel that have accepted a whore religion, emblematic of Babylon, with a pedophile prophet and a satanic book that don't know they are worshiping Satan. We're going to see them fall in love with the God of Israel. Amen. So well, if you love Jews so much, why are you talking about Muslims? We're going to see Muslims fall in love with the God of Israel, become worshipers of the God of Israel through Messiah, and carry Jews on their shoulders from lands that they were taken into as captives back to the throne of God under Messiah. That's what we're going to see, and that is ultimately what One Association Europe is about. I can tell you that. I can't understand it for you. You're going to have to look into the teachings of this church because they are biblical. They're not minor pet doctrines. And we've been privileged. Most of us scraggly, lost people from Louisiana to be saved, born again, and have some insight into the book. And this is where it all points. We want you to stand to your feet now. We realize that when we talk about support for Israel, you'll get a bumper sticker and put it on your car. We realize that when we talk about support for Israel, you will fall prey to some charlatan on TV 
that if you send him $1,000, he'll make sure $27 gets to a Jew somewhere. We're asking for more than those stupid kind of things from you. We're asking for you to give your life to a vision that the Bible lays out from Genesis through Revelation. We're asking you to raise your children in that revelation. We need to get rid of the just die and go to heaven thing. It's not true. It's never been true. And it's not what the Bible teaches. We need to get rid of the selfishness of thinking this was all about you and start to honor God's name, actually carry out an Ittai doctrine and reverse our ignorance. We have to do that. It's hard to think clearly and you're in an air-conditioned room with padded seats. What will it be like when your actual life is on the line and the lives of your families? You want to know what it'll be like? A hundred thousand times worse than what it was in the first few weeks of COVID. And if you stumbled during that time, and many of you did, and many of you did who are watching, then what is it going to be like and what do you have to do to be able to stand during actual times of testing? That's what we're aiming at right now. Okay? And we can and we will. The great question of Isaiah 49 is can captives be taken from the fierce? And when this revelation became more central to my being about our future, I stopped for a minute, cried, because I wasn't sure. And then I realized that God answers the question. Yes, captives will be taken from the fierce. We are an advanced team. A team that is going to sow hundreds of families into hostile territory so that on the day that our brothers are in their greatest need, our big brother, Israel, there are men that are there that says, no, I will stand up to you and everybody else for that man's salvation. Whether he loves me or doesn't love me, he's destined to love Messiah. Okay? That's what we're after. Y'all join hands with the people that are around you. We're going to continue preaching and teaching on this. If you don't like it, you need a conversion in your soul. If you're unwilling to have a conversion in your soul, then go to a church that preaches a false gospel. You can have whatever you want. We're trying to give you something that's good. And if you want quail, you can have that till it comes out your nose. We're trying to give you manna. And we're not going to beg you. We're not going to fight to make sure that you say things. We're asking you to get a revelation. And ask yourself how we got this revelation. There's no reason for us to love Israel except I read that Bible. And the first thing that I realized is that the Christian world is off base. Do you know how terrifying that was for somebody four months into the kingdom out of a Baptist background? It's going to take courage. Father, we ask that your Ruach would so fill us that we would actually have courage to embrace what your scripture is saying. Not in some rote, memorized way, but down in our souls so that we can get this. Father, help us to stand against the flood of dissipation all around us. Help us to stand against all of the error so that we ourselves are not seduced or flattered away from these truths. We want to know you so that we carry out your will on earth. 
Lord, where repentance needs to occur in this room, I trust that your spirit will bring men and women to repentance. Lord, where education and revelation need to occur in this room, I trust that your spirit and your word will breathe into those in this room. Father, where there needs to be physical and spiritual healing in this room, I trust that your word will bring that healing to our spirit and our bodies will prosper as well. Lord, we're asking that you bless us for no other reason than we want to bring your gospel to the nations, the gospel of the kingdom of Israel. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.